Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the Sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his strength in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. I'm Eddie Webb. I'm Chris Bobby. And today we're going to talk about The Force Awakens live on Genreless. Oh God! Welcome to um, Genreless. Uh, this is a, a special in a couple of different ways. Um, one, this is uh, our fiftieth episode, and so we want to do something exciting to celebrate that. But also, this is the first episode we are recording live. We we've had finagled Discord to do things, um, and through sheer black sorcery and a cute little bear named Craig, we're actually recording completely differently so people can pop in and listen to us and maybe even talk to us. We don't know if anyone's going to take advantage of this because it's Tuesday night and we're drinking beer, but who knows? It may happen. We'll see. But uh, You also forgot to mention, this is the first ever movie that Johnless has it ever is. done. It is. We are going to review a movie and... We don't know exactly how we're going to do this. We're kind of just going to feel our way through this conversation. Um, but uh, it, it, we've been always talking about doing movies, right? Like at some point in time, we knew we wanted to approach movies. So we figured, eh, let's start with something easy. Although you recommended this one. All right, let's not, let's not kid the people. We had a list of, I want to say it was five movies. Right. And out of that list, we dropped it down to two pretty quick. Either... I think a favorite of both of ours, if I'm not mistaken, Blade Runner. Yes. Or The Force Awakens. And it was Blade Runner would be a fun, intense kind of talk. I'm not sure if that's the first kind of talk we wanted to have for the 50th show, the first time ever doing a live show compared to The Force Awakens, which is obviously the best sequel movie uh, in the sequel trilogy for Star Wars, hands down. <laughs> Eddie told me that when, we first, when he first suggested it to me. And I was like, all right. If you think it's the best movie, heck, he said the best Star Wars movie ever. And I was like, all right, that is that is a, a ballsy statement, my friend. But if you think so, I'm willing to ride this rodeo with you. I love this 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 character arc we're having of of you making a decision and then shoving it into my mouth when we go to record. <laughs> Painting this picture of, of my, my, my likes and dislikes, which I find fascinating and only occasionally connected to reality. Well, it started the first episode, so why change it now? <laughs> it's, a, it's an inside joke now. It's a running, it's a running theme. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> leitmotif, if you will, of our podcast. Well, don't forget, like I said in a previous show, every three times it's funny. So if I keep doing it, we'll keep hitting that third marker and it'll get funnier every time. Multiples of three does not make it funnier, Chris. <laughs> yes, that's that's how it works. Do you not know that like three times three is a higher number than just three? <laughs> three cubed is cubed times more funny. <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, before we dive in, though, um, one thing I, I would like to talk about, at least with The Force Awakens, I am nervously dodging commenting on my actual opinion of the movie, uh, is that this was, we're going to go back to 2015 because The Force Awakens came out at a time where we as a culture were not sure if we we're ever going to get any more Star Wars films. Uh, we had uh, the original three, obviously, in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, then we had the uh, prequel trilogy, as is commonly referred to, episodes one through three, um, which was around the early 2000s. And I am a bit of an apologist for the prequel trilogy. I, I feel like they are not as bad as people leave them to believe, although they are still not great films compared to the original trilogy. I, uh, I, I just have one thing I want to say for that. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I have the higher ground, Anakin. Like that... <laughs> I know that we have superpowers and we can super leap, we can move super fast, but I have the higher ground in it. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a master tactician. I will have you know. He's a general and he has deserved your respect for his time serving in the Clone Wars. If I'm not mistaken, Anakin was a general. Uh, Han's a general. Lando's a general. O's a general. N's a general. So, I'm not going to say that Grievous is a general. A general. <laughs> For the other side, but he's still a general. Maybe being a general doesn't give you a lot of butt clout. Um, and that's fair. I, I, I think, to be, to be perfectly fair, a lot of the, tr the prequel trilogy is redeemed through, through the Clone Wars cartoon. So, be that what you will. But, um, you know, that was about a decade before this movie came out. We, you know, like, we just knew that Disney bought this and we're like, okay, we're getting new Star Wars. We don't know what it's going to look like. Lucas isn't involved. It was kind of a, a, a strange world. So I think it's good having that context going in that this was very much the first step of a new creative vision for Star Wars outside of Lucas's control, which he'd had his control over that for three decades. And culturally, Star Wars fans like ourselves were like, we don't know what this is going to be. So it was, I, I, like, I have upstairs, actually, um, um, my wife and I, uh, we went to a, one of the premiere showings in the theater for this. Uh, and I actually have, I bought a hoodie. Um, it actually has like uh, the, the different Star Wars films and their release dates on the back of it. And The Force Awakens is at the bottom. I mean, that's how excited I was. Like, oh my god, this is this movie's going to be <laughs> amazing and wonderful, and I'm going to love it. And some of that was true. So, so, so let's start. I guess start there. Do um, do we want to talk about the plot? I mean, no one online has talked about this movie at all, so I don't know if anyone really knows what this plot is about because no one oh. has mentioned The Force Awakens ever online. Before we do, I guess I should tell a, a quick snippet of my own Force Awakens story. From oh, yeah, let's go up those, these two. I went every time there was a Star Wars movie growing up in Alabama. There was actually relatively easy to get a ticket <laughs> and see it. So I was able to really? see each. Auburn, Alabama, you'd be surprised for some reason they didn't really dig sci-fi and fantasy movies that much. Huh, okay. And every showing for any sort of those movies, I got almost like the first showing had a great seat. Every single time, even when they released the Lord of the Rings on Christmas, I was at a bar all night till it opened. And then like a group of us wandered from the bar to there to go see it. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
And so I am not an apologist for the prequel trilogy. I think the prequel trilogies could use it to work. Mm-hmm. But I still went and I saw them. And for this one, I was super excited to go see it because I wanted, because even in the trailers alone, they showed a more diverse cast, which was instantly yep. engaging for me as a viewer. Absolutely. And in with the lightsaber, I was like, oh, are we finally going to get like a Black Jedi story running around, like kicking butt, doing cool things? We're not talking yeah. about plot yet, so I won't go into that. Right, right, but right. I was inspired, and I went and I saw it, and I had like a group of us when I think. 30 of us went to go see the movie and we like just sort of filled in like multiple multiple roads because 2015 I left Alabama and I was in like the somewhere else at that point in time I, mm-hmm. moved, I moved a lot and while it was an adventure to go with that many people the movie was fun and that's where I'll stop so we can actually talk about it in more detail Right, and I think that that's a good place to start. I mean, um, regardless of my opinions of the, of the prequel trilogy, I, I completely agree with you. It had a lot of flaws, and I think the most commonly levied complaint about them was the extremely nebulous criticism, although valid, that it didn't feel like Star Wars. Um, a lot of people feel like it, it was three different movies that had Star Wars it's in them, but didn't feel like the Star Wars they grew up with. And on the one hand, right, like nothing is going to ever be that. You know, the, 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 the Star Wars in your head is always going to be better than the Star Wars that actually exists. Um, and I have actually have a story about that, but we'll see if we get back to it because I want to actually talk about this fucking movie eventually. Um, but I mean, so that, that, that was always going to be the case, but it certainly didn't feel of a piece. It had a very different tone. And I have grown to appreciate that tone, maybe with a few less long meetings, uh, but, and certainly a lot less Anakin poetry, dear God. <laughs> but I'm with you in the sense that I saw the trailers for this and I was like, oh, that looks like a Star Wars movie. I want to see a movie that looks like it should be a Star Wars film. So. Disney and the people putting this together clearly had a mission statement of we need to, for our first film, being the people who have this stuff now, we need to make a film that pop culturally feels, looks, acts like a Star Wars film. So first question is, did they accomplish that? What do you think? Well, tangent, not that we're known at all for side tangent. Oh, shit. Right. On. Do you think they're actually inspired somewhat for this movie by Guardians of the Galaxy? Because Gar- the first Guardians of the Galaxy felt like a Star Wars movie when you went in and you watched it. It came out a year or two before this. Uh, it did it come out a year or two before this? Um, yeah. That is an interesting question. Uh, normally, uh, actually, I take it back. I was, I was about to caveat and then i decided it's not worth caveating uh it was directed by jj abrams and jj abrams did a treatment of the script and was a producer on it so abrams had a pretty strong hand on it i suspect abrams was more inspired by his own work on star trek than necessarily guardians of the galaxy but i do think that probably the people at disney who decided to buy the license were probably inspired by guardians of the galaxy to say there is clearly a market for this stuff. 
man, if only there were a sci-fi property that was really hot that we could reinvigorate. <laughs> oh, look. Let's grab that one. We have the, the, the grand progenitor of all sci-fi, sh- sci-fi properties. Mm-hmm. All right. Right. So, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's something I, th- I think that um, they had in mind because they're looking at their stuff and like, well, I don't think a black hole is going to give us any money, so we should probably actually go out and buy Star Wars. Do you know that a, I think Black Hole could be an exceptional movie? Oh, I completely I agree. We could do that. Oh, sorry. We actually have someone in the audience. Audience members, if you'd like to, please feel free to jump in. Not putting you on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, you have, if you have thoughts and also if you could wedge a word in edgewise between me and Chris, feel free to request to jump on stage and we'll, we'll talk to you. It is a, it's um, a delicate dance to get in there, though. Um, I barely have trouble getting in here. What are you talking about? <laughs> I would say as a Star Wars movie specifically, this has the spirit of a Star Wars movie, but it isn't a Star Wars movie, but it is a good movie. If you understand that is those very... That is an interesting statement. Um, I'd like you to unpack that a bit. Why do you feel like it has the spirit of a Star Wars movie, but is not a Star Wars movie? Because it has... It basically takes the beats of previous Star Wars movies to lay the groundwork, which, in my opinion, is something you have to do. If you're trying to equivalently reboot or revitalize an entire franchise that hasn't been active in about 10 or 15 years and you want to get a new audience, you need to show them like the essentials of what made this so popular to start with. And right, so like, the start, like the Spider-Man reboots, for example. Yeah, like we don't need to hear about like Uncle Ben again because Uncle Ben's bad. But dead, you need to show them it. like the journey and the force right. and how it impacts things and how people engage with it. And... Those are the pieces that make it feel like a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And the part where I'm saying that it's not a Star Wars movie is that it doesn't progress past that. It gets stuck in the mire of trying to highlight those points without fully becoming its own thing, which a real Star Wars movie would have done. Like Rogue One, I know people have various feelings about Rogue One, but I think Rogue One, some issues aside, is a great Star Wars movie. Because it exists in the universe, it moves things along as its own movie. It has it has these points that it has to engage between, like this happens here, and then we this happens here. I'm not giving spoilers for people that may not right, right. Rogue One, but you know those are there. But everything that goes in, and the characters, and like some of the tech they use, and like the words they use, and how they say things, feels like a Star Wars movie. This doesn't have that. While I enjoyed Poe Dameron's. Uh, who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. I like right. that. It's funny. It's not Star Wars. That's and that's an interesting point because again, that's kind of that's why I feel like Abrams was looking a bit to Star Trek. Star Trek had the same problem. I felt um, was that there was a lot of the uh, aesthetic points that are appropriate and, and some good updating on that front, but also there was a lot of modern movies need acts kind of just shoved in. So, like, on the one hand, I'm completely here for Kirk being kind of a jerk and starting a bar fight. That tracks with my knowledge of the character. Listening to Beastie Boys, maybe not so much. Uh, and this kind of felt the same way. I'm, I'm, it's like, I, I liked the humor in this movie, 
but I agree it was just a bit too much. And now that you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy, I can see where you may be kind of making that connection because there was like that level of slightly heightened jokiness that at times was charming, but also at times undercut. Like when Poe is staring down this masked man in black and he starts cracking jokes, it immediately undercuts the menace of that character. Yes. Because we don't know who these characters are, and then now this guy clearly feels like he can just crack wise with him. And like that, that, that felt like that set a tone for the movie that maybe the movie didn't quite recover from. Because even we as viewers coming in, if you're like an old school Star Wars fan, you remember Han encountered with Darth Vader, and there is fear that Han has, but Han acts like as soon as Vader shows up in the room, he goes, shit, and starts just firing. Right. Instantly. Right. But at no point in time is he like quipping. He's still being a proactive protagonist to do things to try to help in a situation he knows that he is ill-equipped for. And that doesn't happen here at all. Poe. Right. I mean, so let's compare to uh, episode four. Um, like Han Solo, is, they're in the Death Star. He's in the Stormtrooper armor. Uh, they're trying to get out of this situation. He's caught on the comms and he's making jokes on the comms. But Harrison Ford's injecting a level of desperation into that humor that we as the audience can read. It's like he's joking because he's covering up how freaked out he is. Mm-hmm. Or in the case when he's joking slash snarking at Leia, he's annoyed at, at how badly things have gone. So there's an additional layer that's happening as well as the humor. Um, and that's something that when I was rewatching this for this recording, I kind of noticed too. I was like, man, there's a lot more jokes than I remember in this. And not all of them were landing to me. Like I, I, I remember Ray being a very kind of humorless character and I'm wrong. She, she also has one-liners throughout all of this. And I've, I have some problems with how much humor there is, especially with Finn, but we're not quite there yet. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, so, I mean, another piece, since we're still kind of in the opening section of it, uh, uh, we have the First Order who were very clearly the Empire, although obviously they can't be the Empire because they're not in charge of anything yet. Um, and we have this kind of weird thing of like, okay, so, so the First Order is set up and they're trying to destroy the Jedi. And so, uh, with support of the Republic, there's a resistance and it's like, wait a minute, how can you be both the status quo and rebelling against the status quo? So like, that's a weird distance there to begin with. And but, everything else is coded like, okay, the, the, the first order has just stormtrooper armor. Right. And it's like, okay, sure. They, they came from the ashes of it, but already we're starting to get the sense of they're trying to call back to the icons of the original uh, trilogy, but it's also just isn't quite the puzzle pieces aren't fitting together, you know. Yeah, and it's uh, there's like so many good points here that even watching it, you can see them being squandered because of the things that the active choices they made. For instance, even when Kylo Ren shows up and he freezes a blaster bolt in the air, is something we've never seen before. Yeah, that's so cool. That was astounding. And to then just have it still be like energized and like floating in the background while he's doing this thing. 
is display of that character's power, then it is all undercut by Poe's inability to like have any sort of fear from this person that's been running around the galaxy, obviously like committing genocide everywhere. Right, and like, and, and I'm with you, like uh, that line because like when Poe's walking by the bolt, and we and then there's a great subtle computer special effects because like you can actually see on Poe's face the light from the blaster reflecting off his face and I'm like it was a small little bit of CGI it was so well done and so you really feel like like one of the is going like shove his face into it or something and he's going to die you know um, or like they brought him in front of the bolt and it, like it was like the, the, the blaster bolt to Damocles right okay it's going to crash in this guy and then like you said it gets undercut and then at the end of that scene uh uh it's like, oh, by the way, yeah, this bolt kind of just waves his hand and then just blows up a random building. Um, and it's like there was a lot of menace that was really built up there, and you just kind of fizzles out. Uh, and I know we're putting a lot of weight on that first scene, but I mean, when you go into the theater wanting Star Wars after ten years and you see that, it's like, oh, you know. Like you're saying, this is our first reemergence into the entire universe after seeing Vader. Being like becoming Vader at the end of prequel trilogy, which I am not a huge fan of, mm-hmm. and is very Frankensteinian. Arr! To come here to then like have these moments where you see like the stormtroopers coming, you see an unmask trying to like help someone, like a stormtrooper break, and mm-hmm. then all of that greatness to come up to this point where like the new equivalent of Vader comes onto the scene. Like people are scared. He like kills an old family friend. He talks about his family. We don't even know who his family is yet. And you're like, hmm, who's his family? Come on. Then there's just right. clips and jokes. But now that being said, um, I feel like I feel like this is gonna be the thread of the whole movie. It's like and then a cool thing happens and you get excited and then it gets squandered. But like the cool thing happens where it's like we see a stormtrooper who doesn't want to do this, and then the movie against expectation, starts following the stormtrooper. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. We're going to see what it's like to live in this kind of regime. You know, what happens when you're basically working for the Nazis effectively and you realize you're in too deep. But that's that's some really cool shit there. Think about it. If you go back to like original prequel trilogy, as far as we knew, I think they mentioned it offhandedly, but most of the stormtroopers that you've seen we're all clones and they're right. all the same person. Then to mm-hmm. like see the stormtroopers different automatically like opens up that entire stormtrooper universe in case you've forgotten that they started conscripting, conscripting people and like forcing them to become stormtroopers. And how right. the Jedi would go to places and like steal people's kids that were force sensitive. <laughs> wow. It's almost who's... like, it's almost like neither side is good. What a weird mm. idea. Again, that's one of the reasons why I actually like the prequel trilogy is because it was the first time someone's like, hey, maybe the Jedi are assholes and maybe the, the Empire kind of point. Um, so there's that. But let's talk about Finn, right? Um, and this, I'd rather actually hear your thoughts on this. What were your thoughts when that helmet came off? All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piece out all my thoughts bit by bit as we go through this. Instead of just like okay. pre-dumping them. Okay. I loved it because it was a totally new move for Star Wars. We'd never like gone mm-hmm. into stormtroopers that way before. Well, not when I say stormtroopers, and I don't say clone troopers, right? Because we'd done that with clone troopers in the prequel trilogy, but that was different because that was before Order sixty six had. 
Mm -hmm. in case anyone doesn't know, Order 66 is when the Emperor decided to make all the Stormtroopers evil. Right. And so we get a chance to see a real Stormtrooper dealing with, like, the repercussions of being a soldier that's told to just kill innocent people. Mm -hmm. That, And to see him trying to, like, save a fellow Stormtrooper and running around in combat. Having, having seen someone break before in the middle of a similar situation overseas, like having to fight people, that spoke to me now watching it, not Chris in, in, in a different way. Yeah, I mean, one thing that hit me surprisingly hard this time around was during the execution scene. Um, you know, where, uh, uh, you know, not Darth Vader's like kill them all. And so we see the stormtroopers firing and then we, we see that, that FN2187 is not firing, but is still on the line and is still like mimicking firing. It reminded me of, uh, a conscious rounds of olds when people would lined up. Um, a lot of times, uh, they would only give like one or two of the people who were firing real ammunition and everybody else had blanks. So none of the soldiers knew exactly who fired the killing shot. Uh, and so it's like neat kind of like, it's like, yeah, I can see the military kind of breakdown of like, I need to look like I'm still doing it, but I can't actually pull the trigger. And considering this is a, a person who was in complete body armor, there was a lot of really good physical acting to really communicate that emotion when you have no face to look at. It also helps like, when they like the red mark on the helmet, though, to like sort of individualize that character. No, and that was another subtle touch. It's like it's it's, it's the, the blood in the soldiers is obviously simple, but also it's the okay. This is the stormtrooper you need to follow visually, because now that we've given them identity, we will make sure to track them. And so having the streaks in the soul on the, the, the helmet allows the audience to more clearly track them. So that was a very good touch to try to get someone to follow this character but also you notice that as soon as it's conceivably possible he takes that helmet off and doesn't have the helmet on pretty much for the rest of the movie so like we need to see their face but until we bridge those two gaps that was a great way of doing it i completely agree do you have anything else for being on jeku first time uh, why do we need the desert planet like, on the one hand, I'm glad we didn't go back to Tatooine because, Jesus Christ, I'm tired of Tatooine. But also, it's just Tatooine with different serial numbers. Well, we only have desert planets, water planets, ice planets, and salt planets. That's it. There are no other planets in the universe. I mean, on the one hand, I recognize that the uh, monosphere, mono or the, like the, the, the one... Weather pattern planets is just now a trope with Star Wars, and that's just how things are. I get that, but like, pick another style of weather. You know, it's like it—it's it, 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 the point where it's like I recognize what the movie's trying to do, and I, and I, yeah. I, I actually actually do give it a lot of because it's the we need people to be comfortable with this film before we start to do strong change. So it's and like okay. People know that Luke's on a desert planet, so we'll put Ray on a desert planet. Um, we know that people love Han Solo, so we need to put in a wisecracking pilot. And also Han Solo, for good measure, make absolutely sure that's covered. Um, oh, all right. Here's my question for you. 
who do you think each of the new characters in the trilogy is supposed to represent putting aside that poe dameron was supposed to have died and not have been a reoccurring character i didn't know that part actually yeah uh we'll get there in a second but so who do you think there's supposed I mean, to be? i mean it feels like um well okay I was going to say Poe is Han Solo, but I mean, cause when he becomes a recurring character, he slides into the Luke pilot role because Ray is not doing that portion of the role anymore. Ray is very clearly, in a lot of ways, meant to be the Luke analog. Um, so Finn kind of fills the Han Solo space in terms of the roguish adventurer. Um, and to the movie's credit, Finn's actually the only character that has an arc in this movie of any kind. You it's mean a, Finn should have been the main character? I, yes, absolutely. I, 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 the way the movie is structured and using movie length, Finn should have been the protagonist. Ray is because Star Wars now needs Jedi protagonists. And, and, Again, it's the first movie after a long time, so that's what people expect. One thing that... And? Well, let, 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 let me finish real quick. One thing that sometimes I also forget, but um, uh, I think a lot of people forget when we talk about Star Wars, is that Star Wars is not pop culture. Star Wars is not a nerd movie. Star Wars is a movie that other people outside of nerd areas watch. So there's a lot of weight. We can't, they can't rely on people who have watched the Clone Wars cartoon or know all the movies by heart. These people are like, oh, I'm watching Star Wars on TV once 20 years ago. I'll go watch that. That's the they also So I keep bringing this stuff up, but recognizing that I understand why Abrams made some of the decisions he made. Anyway, your thought. What were you saying? And he is a white person. And there is still... In 2015, the myth that a black-led movie would not be successful or make money. Oh yeah, absolutely no. Uh, that is that is a a a, a, a completely fair a fair point. Um, which raises the question of if they had cast a black Jedi, what what kind of pretzel knot would Disney have to put themselves into? I, I think take it back. I take it back. There was a, a black Jedi in the, in the prequels, but then again, Samuel L. Jackson well, was, was really stunning. Samuel casting. L. Fucking motherfucker Jackson. And right, right, right. That doesn't count. His role was very small in those movies. Completely agree. You go look at screen time. They they may mention Mace, but Mace is there very little. That's how if you go look at the original trilogy, they added in Land Lando later, but even then Lando's role is very small. Yeah, no. After Cloud City, Lando's. Basically cameos after that. Oh, and it is a constant reoccurring thing for Star Wars. We could even talk about the new Star Wars TV shows and series that have come out. And that is a whole other conversation that we will not bring up in the 50th, other than the fact that I just mentioned them, to put them as a point of reference if people want to go look for themselves. Right. But, and, well, I mean, but also, talk about this a little bit, um... A lot of the discourse, and I use that term with all intended irony, 
around The Force Awakens and the subsequent two films has been just nothing but revealing the racism of a, a certain portion of the Star Wars fan base. I'm on um, my because, second beer, so I'm extra spicy tonight, so beware. Uh, that's fine, no. Um, I mean, people of color have been treated like shit by Star Wars fans just across the board. And it's it's frustrating to see, but it's, I think, a little frustrating watching this movie again because I we know what happens outside of Star Wars, but also we just see what happens with Finn, which is basically squandered in the next two films. But he has decent potential in this movie. Like, again, we talked about the humor being kind of totally dissonant. But with Finn, it's working in this movie because he's in way over his head. And, and so he's using he, the humor to be like, try to deflect. And he brings that desperation that Harrison Ford brought yep. back in the day. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I'll say that Finn's humor needs to be toned down by about 15%. Because they push him over the top to almost a char character. That's entirely fair. I didn't notice as much because, frankly, everyone needed to be dropped down by 15%. So, um, Chewbacca had one-liners, and that's impressive, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why is Chewie funny, and how do I know that Chewie's funny, and what happened here? Not even that. Why is Chewie macking on other people, and he has, like, a wife and a kid at home? That's what I want to know. Well, there's that. Um, there's also, okay, so, actually, this is, uh, since we're moving into the Hans Before we go on, thing, I will yeah. give, like, my three. Okay. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Here, so I'll, I'll do mine too. Um, Ray is definitely the Luke analog, hands down. Very right. Um, Desert Planet, Force, uh, nearly same story arc for this movie. Poe is Leia, and Finn is Han. Rogish both basically escaped the Empire, employ similar character arcs. Interesting. You know, and the Poe is as Leia, but I can almost see that. Both are resistance people. They are officers. They have more command, which becomes more and more prevalent in Poe's story as they re-add him in and like take screen time for other people to give to Poe. Right. Um, and before I go into the Han Solo stuff, um, uh, just a reminder, because uh, uh, we're recording this live, you know, I mean, it's, it's cool that you're all listening to it, um, but because we're using uh, the the discord stage thing um you can request to speak if you have thoughts and feel free to um do that and we'll let you on you can talk to us about your spicy takes of of the force awakens uh oh, but audience we got two people let's let's give them a moment so eddie and i may have this where it's hard to get it get in a word between the two of us which we can barely do ourselves if you want to jump in as you are our guest we will go out of our way to give you an extra three seconds that we do not give each other <laughs> Wow. I wouldn't even get three seconds, folks. Well, yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're a recording professional in. and you understand that like that airtime is not good. I true. Am, am, a, am a novice that just enjoys talking. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, but we'll pause if people request him. But um, uh, anyway, in the meantime, uh, so like the Millennium Falcon, of course, they're going to be the Millennium Falcon back, right? Like, again, most, one of the most iconic starships ever. There's the Enterprise and William Falcon. I mean, it, it, it's just up there. Um, so, in your opinion, then, 
what are the most five iconic starships? Enterprise, Millennium Falcon, uh, Battlestar Galactica, the X-Wing. I know it's Star Wars again, but it's also iconic. What about the fifth one? That's an interesting question. That's why I went for five instead of three. Three is easy. I was right, like, right, right. Uh, because I'm trying to decouple my own knowledge from like popular knowledge. It could be one of the same sometime. Oh, um, the the uh, the aliens ship, uh, Nostradamus. No, yeah, the name of it. Nostradamus. Aliens, it? the first one. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I think the Nostradamus okay. is in the later Aliens, but. You know what I'm talking about? The, that, that, the, the Nostromo. That's it. Nostromo. Yes. Yeah. What about you? You realize these are one-way questions, right? No, that's, I do not. That's how our riff this. works. I, um, I, I have played the Uno reverse card. The Millennium Falcon. Right. White Star. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I love the White Star from Battlestar from um, ah, B5. It is a beautiful ship. Moya. Mm -hmm. Liberator. The TARDIS. Okay, that's a bullshit answer. No, no I was going to no, say TARDIS too. No, TARDIS because it travels in time and what else? Oh, I, I am not even, I'm not, I, I refuse to acknowledge the discussion. No. <laughs> I'll take you off the stage. I'll still talk to myself for the next half an hour. But no, okay, so Hansel wants you to come back, right? I don't really have much of an issue with Han Solo, aside from the fact that it did feel like Harrison Ford was kind of begrudgingly playing the role the whole time. I totally disagree. Like, this is the biggest point I think we've ever disagreed on. Okay. I will say that when Han and Chewie stepped in that ship and said, Chewie, we're home, I smiled when I first saw it. Oh, no. I smiled totally every single time I rewatch it. And I felt like Harrison Ford wanted to be once in like 20 years of him acting. He felt like he wanted to be doing something. Okay. That's because he gets to die in the movie, but which is what he's wanted to do for 30, 40 years. Well, okay, that, that, is, that is fair. And I do feel like he brought it during that last scene where he gets killed. I um, also watched some of the press junket stuff, too, so I know how excited he was to like be doing a press tour for a change, which is weird for Harrison. You oh, know, okay. I can call him Harrison because we're buddies. We, 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 we're, we, we're friends. We hang out. So, but... Again, the, 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 the weirdly dissonant humor is the bowcaster. Okay, let's just talk about that. Um, Han fires the bowcaster twice in the film and both times is surprised by how powerful it is. He's been friends with Chewie for 30 goddamn years. You tell him he's never been Chewie's fired that bowcaster before. <laughs> I totally believe that. How does Han feel about droids? He doesn't like them. How does Han feel about most technology that's not the Millennium Falcon? He's a boomer. I, yeah, he's doesn't understand technology, right? He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. And much like with my kid, Zora, when I get her to try new foods and she likes it, this is awesome. I want to eat it again. Han realized this is awesome and he wants to try it again. Short, that is a stretch. I am, that is a stretch. I'm making the same correlation that boomers are like nine-year-old kids. Okay, that'll allow. 
But, but at the I same mean, time, just from the role playing perspective, if you've played some Star Wars games, you would understand that Wookiee Bolt, when it fires, fires a bolt of an energy that explodes out and sends your enemies flying in the distance. Equivalently, a Wookiee Bolt would do 3d10 damage compared to a heavy blaster that Han has, that I believe is 3d6 or 3d8 damage. But in short, the Wookiee Blaster, the Wookiee Bowcaster, <laughs> does more damage. Is more penetration <laughs> than your standard heavy blaster. PGL. I love, I love that you said that because that was exactly my thought on the screen. Like the first time it happened, I was like, "Thank you," because I have been playing the RPG for thirty years, and I know that gun is badass, <laughs> and I'm glad that it's finally on the screen. So that part, I was like, "Finally, thank you." That is mega damage. There, don't don't stop doing that. It was more the fact that. Combined with things like Ray knowing how to use the Millennium Falcon faster in a very short period of time, I understand why all those beats are there. They all make sense why they're there. But at the same time, the aggregate makes Han look kind of like an idiot about his own co-pilot and ship. Anakin, as a child, a fighter... Blew up an entire ship. At the end, he raced. I, I'm did pod racing. So I'm going to say the force gives people special powers, different special powers depending on who you are. Also, if you actually read this from the um, some of the extended universe stuff, a on and Leia have a third kid that's named Anakin that also almost has like an equivalent force tech power. The extended universe is a whole thing. I think that this movie and the entire trilogy would have done better not to have gotten rid of it. Okay, so oh, oh. I want to start. I want to start by saying I'm generally okay with your stance. However, it's all or nothing. If you do that, you've got to include the Marvel 70s comic too, which means that giant green bunny is a canon character and you have to live with that. I am perfectly fine with that. <laughs> I look who you're talking to. You realize, <laughs> like, that is awesome. I want to see that character in a movie. On Chow in the Green Lantern name. movie, I want to see the Green Lantern squirrel with the Green Lantern ring show up in the Green Lantern movie. Or the Green Lantern planet. That would be harder because it's. I'm looking this up now, real quick, because I I, I want to remember that character. So, Jackson. So yes, yes, that yes, was it. Jackson. Audience, we literally do googling sometimes during the show, which is he has a keyboard much like mine that when we type it makes a lot of clicking noise. Oh my god, this is better. Okay, so first of all, the character's name is Jackson. There's two things I have learned immediately, which are fantastic. One, he has an action figure, which is amazing. Jackson has an action figure, and I am behind this 100. But two, his full name is Jackson T. Tumperaki. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he not have his own Disney Plus? Okay. <clears throat> uh, I don't think so. Something I mean, happened I, because they fired Bob Chapik. Oh, I'm. Those I'm. Disney Plus shows are going to go down. Are going to be clipped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So I mean, like, I'm. I see where you're coming from. I, I, I get a lot of that. Uh, but I, I bring it up partially because I think it's indicative of the larger problem we've seen is that this movie's trying to do a whole lot. 
and it's spackling over some of the cracks with humor, and it's kind of obvious. Again, I I I'm, I'm want to be super clear. I enjoy this movie. I like this movie. I am recognizing it has flaws, and one of the flaws is that in this movie, it is using its canon characters a little awkwardly at points, and the times it works better is when those when sadly the protagonists are falling are actually off screen. Like some of Han's best scenes are when the protagonist is supposed to care about aren't actually with him. Like I, I love the fact when the two different factions both show up in the Millennium Falcon, he's trying to talk as well. Like that's pure Han Solo. That's because you have feelings for Han having seen the original series. But I think if we also approach this from a Disney standpoint in 2015, Disney, when they're making this, weren't aiming this movie at people of a certain age like us. I figured they would get us Drink because this group of kids. They had Star Wars listed with it. They're aiming for the next generation who may not know who Han is or they may have like seen Han before. They don't have that same sort of attachment. And so that's why we have these characters that we have that they could latch onto and sort of make their own associations and have those same feelings. And they have the other, the original characters there because you can't, make this movie to pass a torch without having these people here. It doesn't work. And there's no, torch no passing. Agree you just re at that point, you should have just like redone the, rebuilt the entire movie and like redone the star Wars with new people. That, that Taking I agree with. Like, you had to have as many as possible of Han, Luke and Leia. Luckily they got all three um, to, to be there to pass the torch. I completely agree with that. Um, biggest you sin. Bring up an Sorry, I'll let you go in one second. But the biggest sin this movie this movie commits is not having three of them together for a scene. I think that's very fair. Or what you're saying? Um, no, I was just saying it's like you bring up an interesting point in the sense of who they're aiming for. Because I mean, on the one hand, it's very obvious. Yes, obviously, this is aimed for kids. Star Wars has always been aimed for kids. Um, and the adult fans are going to come because of Star Wars, right? I, I argue that they're also trying to court lapsed Star Wars fans. Um, but that's why you have those, those cameos in there to get those in as well. So, so that's valid. But you, you bring up an interesting point that I hadn't thought of, which is those kids are going to go, who's, who's that old guy on screen? Why does everyone care about that? And then they're going to go back and watch those movies. Mm-hmm. And potentially buy those movies, old movies. So yep. now they can use as a revenue stream to monetize the old material. The first hit is almost always free. Mm -hmm. Get you on the comeback. Right. So that's why we may love that, but it's not for them. And so that's why it's a little bit of the movie and it's primarily focused even on what Ray and Finn are doing in the ship below decks. Han's plan is, of course, failing because mm -hmm. one of the biggest things about the original about the original three is they were skilled people, but success usually came with failure. Like, this is how it works. And unfortunately, a lot of the newer aspects of it minimizes or reduces some of that ongoing successful failure. Like every time we see someone like see Poe fly, they say like Poe's the best pilot pilot in the universe. Every single time he pops on screen, right? Something like that. It's constantly reinforcing. Like, hey, we're not going to show you, but we're going to tell you. If we tell you, you'll believe it. And that's fine. 
but there's a failure part of that. Like, and, and that's something that is both interesting and frustrating uh, about Finn, right? Is because on the one hand, it's really interesting to see a character who is basically walking amongst legends or people who are, are soon to be legends and trying to find a place to fit. And it's like, that's something we haven't really seen in Star Wars before. Someone who's not just supremely confident of being the protagonist of the film. On the other hand, the fact that it's the only person of color on the screen is really frustrating. Mm, the only black person on the screen. Okay. Fair point. Oscar Isaac is still there. Fair point. You're, you're correct. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. But, but my larger point still stands. Yeah. Seeing, oh, yeah. seeing a black man having to prove himself, I'm reminded of the conversations we had this in previous episodes. And so watching again, I was, I, I'm now seeing trope much more clearly. It's like, oh, yeah, that does suck. It is Cisco. So then I have to ask you do, you, do you regret our friendship at this point, volunteering to do this podcast with me? No, not at all. Um, I am always open to, because, okay, I think this is worth digging into. I have an interesting relationship with problematic media in the sense that I am able to recognize the problems in media and still enjoy it while not dismissing the problems. Like, for example, it's really hard for me to read old, well, not hard for me. Um, I recognize reading old Dr. Doom stories like they can't get away from the G word anymore. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the G word's a slur. We, we don't say that word. But Dr. Doom loves to use that word. Um, so it's I like, thought you were going to talk about when Dr. Doom stood outside of the Baxter building with a megaphone and shouted at Reed Richards. Oh, my God, I don't remember that story. It's like Fantastic Four, like five or eight or something. Something obscene. Sorry. I remember the, I remember the one where he... he, he tricked the um, Namor into stealing the Baxter building because that plan had legs. What was he going to do with Baxter building after that? I don't know, shoot in space, I guess. Whatever. All right, but you're making a, a, a real point, and I'm just big. Right, right, right. It, so it's like, um, I still love those Dr. Doom stories, but it's like, I can look at those. And, so, and there are some days where it's like, that's actually uncomfortable. I don't want to read that right now. It doesn't change my, it changes my relationship with it, but it doesn't change my love for it, if that makes sense. Um, it does. I, I, I myself do not have the ability to disassociate how I feel about writings people may have done to like enjoy the stories themselves. I've never made okay. like a multi award winning book about that subject matter and then like talk about it. <laughs> I have no, no idea the point of reference that you're making. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, so um, the point is like I, I see it now, it's, 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 it's more frustrating. Which is right, a, a side tangent directly related to this mm -hmm. word change. That is why I have problems with Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And I'm going to have problems with Captain America 4 because their entire point is about having Sam Wilson prove third time that he is worthy to carry the shield because they want to explore that. I think it's a white right. writer that wants to explore a black struggle again and have a black person constantly have to prove themselves over and over and over. Be better third of the abilities and rights right uh but that aside it, a part of the reason why it's frustrating is because we're starting to see a nod towards disney's idea for star wars that 
there are interesting stories to tell of the, the characters that have traditionally been the margins of the story that the quote unquote average people and Finn is not average, but compared to the other people around him, he is. And so seeing him going, how do I just get through this? Is really cool. And then you get the gag about the, Oh, I worked in sanitation and it's just like, Oh, that is when the movie you really lost so me. So good. You were doing so good to this point. <laughs> and it's, it's, and then the, I guess the most frustrating part of it is the way people treat him. It's like, oh my God, you were sanitation. It's like, if I were a spy trying to engage in industrial espionage, knowing someone who works sanitation would be like gold mine. It's like, you know where all the bodies are buried in this, in this place. For me, if I would make one, like if I had one change to the script that I would do, based on Finn's story, like Finn has a fear of like the new empire Mm -hmm. that has to come from somewhere. I would have almost have made him like part of an elite, like the 501st from from Vader, but like Halloran having his own version, having Finn having been one of them. And because then he would be a better shot with blasters than we have. That would still be like his primary skill set. And that's what he does really well. But mm-hmm. some of better re- more of a reason to be afraid of Kylo Ren and what the First Order can do, having witnessed it firsthand. Like that is more palpable fear that you get. So that as I'm having the same arc, but it gives him a little bit more of a skill in something that is useful but not overly useful, and removes the insulting gag about being a janitor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. And like so, I mean, as far as the rest of the film, I mean, actually, let's go to the um, lightsaber scenes. I think it's another kind of point worth talking about. Uh, because um, Finn if up anyone the in the audience has a specific point they'd like to talk about, mm-hmm. please feel free. We're just kind of bouncing around because it's a movie. And this is the first movie that we've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we are getting close to time. So um, if you have thoughts, now's definitely time to kind of put a request in. Um. But uh, uh, lightsaber scene with Kylo Ren, uh, from a choreography standpoint, it's amazing. It's a really good fight. And they do some interesting stuff with lightsaber physics that I don't think I've seen in the previous Star Wars film. But plot-wise, it's just all over the place. <laughs> because, again, this is the, what's frustrating is like Finn picks up a lightsaber. And uses it reasonably well in the fight. He, in the very beginning of the movie, he's able to pilot a, a TIE fighter after it's damaged reasonably well. This guy has skills. So the, the, that's what makes the gag even more jarring is because before and after the gag, nothing about the character is coded like this guy is incompetent. He's not. He's just not a legend. And I keep thinking, do you know how incredible that movie would have been? Fall to Stormtrooper, uh, you find is Force-sensitive, and becomes a Jedi. Even if it doesn't become a Jedi, I was hoping in later movies that maybe they didn't do a Jedi. They wouldn't put one of the other Force traditions, like Wardens of the Sky or some of the other ones that ha- like use a Force in really cool, but yet martial ways to do things. And that would have been like a great exploration. You could have still had Rey be the Jedi and Finn have his own story arc. And it would have all been there, and it's like you can see it. They're like the crumbs of it that just get tossed away. 
Right. Yeah. It's 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 um uh to use a wrestling analogy, um the movie is is what we call a spot fest where it's like there's lots of, of great scenes, lots of great moments, but it all kind of just doesn't hang together. And I think you're right. One of the problems of the movie is that the movie the movie is telling you that Ray is the protagonist, but everything structurally about the movie implies that Finn is. And then the movie continues to undercut Finn's protagonist status. And I want to build on an earlier point to go back to like some of the, the inherent racism in some of the Star Wars things. Mm-hmm. Is that they made, <clears throat> sorry, how they made Maz Kanata was Lupita Nyong'o into a to an alien character instead of letting it have like a second black person on screen. Oh, okay. I there was that. no reason not to have had, I don't think at any point in time we ever have two black people on the screen. For the entire movie. Can't say for the whole trilogy, but I know throughout like this movie, I don't think that ever happens. Or ha- No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Or how in Solo, oh, the main villain in Solo, like the mob boss, was originally mm-hmm. supposed to have been Michael White. It was Michael White, who was the black actor. And when they were going to have him do the movie, he was going to be an alien in prosthetics and everything else. Mm-hmm. And when he couldn't do it, they got Paul Bettany to do it. And Paul Bettany got to be Paul Bettany with a scar. Like, there's a constant right. reinforcement of racism and stereotypes throughout all of Star Wars media. And, like, those are just two little examples I mentioned off the top of my head. Not like a full deep dive that I could get into. It is incredibly frustrating for this thing that I loved as a kid, and I still enjoy now. It will not change your address that to make it better and more inclusive. Right. And I mean, to be fair, the fans are just as much as fault as anything. Like, it's like whenever it makes the t- Disney makes the tiniest of steps towards that, they get dogpiled on. They, they, they chase these actors off social media and sometimes even out of their careers. So the fans are just as much of a problem in this. But you're right. It, it, it's, a, it's an ongoing issue. We have talked in past episodes how uh, Marvel movies and TV shows also have this problem. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's to be fair, it's a Disney problem. And it's just not Star Wars, how you're saying. But, like... Since even if I talk about fantastic forecasting, how I do sometimes on Twitter, I like list out who I think the people should be. And whenever I list Reed as a black person or a person of color, people get very upset. They're like, well, Reed can't do that. But the thing could be that. And then they put a person right. of color in a dehumanized role that removes that person of color from screen, placing it with a stand-in. And like that is equivalent a version of subtle racism that is still there that people try not to talk about. Mm-hmm. You can hear the person potentially, potentially, it's a POC, and you know there's a POC there, but you don't get to see a POC on screen. And that is devastating because people are influenced by the media they intake, and television and movies now are like massive. They're like the primary source of that that influences how people interact with other people and how they view and see them. If every time you have an association POC is a dehumanized role, you will not treat these people as human. 
Right. And, and to your point, like, um, on, on, on this very Discord, um, I remember I, I heard the rumor that uh, William Jackson Harper, who was in The Good Place, was possibly being considered for Reed Richards. And I Should was like, be. this is amazing. He absolutely would be fantastic. It was one of those things like, I can't think of anybody else who would play that character now because he's such a perfect casting role. And you're right. Some people online were like, oh. Like, he played a philosophy professor for four goddamn years on TV. How do you have any doubts he can play Reed Richards? Because mm-hmm. <sighs> he's black. Right, exactly. And just like, oh, no, 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 no. That's... People are wrong. And I'm kind of at the point now where I have no fucks left to give. <laughs> Two beers in? No, I just, just mean in general. Oh, in life, okay. <laughs> It, I mean, and I, and I feel you, but it's, 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 so it's, it's funny. I did not come to this conversation expecting to be this, this kind of down on Force Awakens because, like I said, I actually liked the film. Oh, um, see, the thing is, but, but we're not overly down on Force Awakens. We haven't, as much as this was supposedly about Force Awakens, Force Awakens is a vehicle for our conversation, but we haven't talked about Force Awakens that much. Right. We have the plot overview. Yeah, we liked it. But it's it's interesting because like a lot of people have been very negative on the Force Awakens, but it's interesting to me that a lot of the so-called consensus criticism, which is really not it, it's just a few loud fans have been amplified a lot. They're they're looking at all the wrong things as to why this movie's bad, and it's like it's not bad; it has flaws, but it's the same people who are like looking at The Last Jedi and going, you know, Luke was chumped out The Last Jedi. It's like, it's in the title of the movie. <laughs> He's The Last Jedi. How did you think this was going to go? Um, but then also there are people online who were mad at me because I said at the end of Sherlock season two that Sherlock wasn't dead. And it's like, why would you say that? The show's called Have Sherlock. Have you read a book? Have you read a book? <laughs> yeah, it's like spoilers for a 165-year-old story, I guess. Sherlock Holmes isn't dead. So, I mean, but The Force Awakens is fascinating because it is simultaneously, they made a lot of good decisions to resurrect Star Wars. And like I said, here seven years later, Star Wars has never been more popular. Uh, and in a lot of ways, they got Star Wars better than Lucas did when he had control of the property. But you're absolutely right. It's also a really good look into a lot of the flaws of Star Wars. Um, one of the things that I get frustrated by with Star Wars, just as a pop culture thing, is how calcified it gets. Like, yes, Rogue One is fantastic. Andor going on right now is fantastic. Not watching it. Are you waiting until it's done or just not watching it in general? Kind of burnt, I think, on Disney for right now for some reason. Maybe it could have been a mix of... I think that's fair. The Boba Fett show. Eh. Some other stuff. It just really put me off on it. I'm taking a little break. But, I mean, and and that's fair. Like, the book of Boba Fett was just, let's go through all the Star Wars movies again, but from Boba Fett's perspective, effectively. Um... 
the other two Star Wars films in the trilogy were didn't really deviate far from the course. And the times when it did, people didn't like it. Solo tanked, and that was unfortunate because I thought Solo was at least trying to do something new. Well, I think Solo's problem was it tried to squeeze everything into one movie. It's rare that I will say this, but Solo should have been two movies, maybe three. Like the first story arc should have been Solo, and like the biggest point should have been him meeting Chewie and them finishing that job. Like that should have been the first Solo movie. And solo mm-hmm. movie should have been like the him and Han part of it. And at the end of the third solo movie should have been Solo stealing the Millennium Falcon from Lando. Like that is how it should have gone out. Use them all into one movie. Doesn't work. There's no time for anything to breathe. Snippets of characters like cameos here and there. And it's too condensed. It needs to breathe. Star Wars isn't I know people say it's an action show, but it's not action. Star Wars is it's a slow meander towards action. It has a very Western-esque feel to it. You get action, it's powerful and intense. Then we're talking about it, and then we're wandering away from it till we get back to it. And, it, and, and we're going back around to the thing I, I mentioned at the top of the episode, so thank you for reminding me. Um, I learned a lot about Star Wars about five or six years ago because um, there's a theater nearby us uh, that they do just... It's, it's, an, it's an art house theater. They just do really unusual movies but every once in a while they find old prints of older films and show them in the theaters so like i saw like Banzai on the big screen uh which is great uh i saw um the original 50 something godzilla with english subtitles on the screen uh but they got an original print of star wars and so we went to go watch it and i went and said i'm gonna try as hard as i can to watch this movie without any knowledge of anything else Star Wars. I'm going to try to watch this film as if I'm seeing it for the first time. And while I intellectually understand the movie was inspired by Westerns and a little bit of samurai films, it is so much an Akira Kurosawa film when you actually just watch it in isolation. And combined with the fact that you're right, it drags a lot and this was edited down i mean it was draggier long before it got the edit job that it finally got based on all the uh historical stuff i've read about star wars but it's still very 70s in terms of 70s sci-fi was a ponderous it, it, it took its time it wasn't a lot of people think of star wars they're thinking of the two other films the 80s film got much more blockbustery in terms of pacing but that first film there's some long scenes with Vader just looking menacing and, and kind of mm-hmm. gesturing at people. Um, there's lots of pans of Luke walking across the desert. That's why for John Williams is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that music keeps that film together at points, frankly. I know that you're hesitant to give your opinion on like the, the sequel trilogy. I will go ahead and say that I think The Force Awakens is the best movie in the sequel trilogy. And I say that I'm not hesitant to give my opinion on it. I just uh, my opinion is meh. <laughs> um, no, seriously, out of the three like, of them, I think this is the best one because there's so much hope, there's so much potential associated with it, so many different directions you could have gone. It has that being the catalyst point, being the first one after such a long walk through the desert. 
It's right. hard to match. I, uh, again, I, I have very complicated movies about don't films that have continuity, but there's, in, in a lot of ways, it reflects Star Wars accurately because the three original Star Wars films also are very jarring when you actually look side by side. Uh, and I think this mirrors that, strangely enough. Um, like, The Last Jedi is the most uneven of the films. I think The Last Jedi hits some really good high points and some really bad low points. Um, you, would you please tell me what the high points are? Because I'm not afraid to say it, but I detest The Last Jedi. And if people don't know why, maybe listen to their, the, what I said earlier about and, and some other people in the show. I mean, the, the low points are like, again, it just squanders a lot of the, the cast that it built up in the last movie. Um, but I actually liked seeing Luke go backwards. You know, I, liked, I, I, I liked the fact that Luke went through those three movies and it's like, I'm, I'm going to be a good Jedi and then just fucked it up. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I, I like that. He was fallible because the original movies featuring Luke showed that constantly. He's not this ideal. He'll never be this ideal. But, but the movie's shows, not about Luke, and that's the problem. <laughs> it's also the same thing that shows that every single Jedi Master is a failure. And they all do the exact same move when they fail. Right, and, and so my perception of Star Wars is that I believe a conceit of Star Wars, whether it is intentional or not, is up for debate. But the conceit of Star Wars is that galactic history is cyclical. Things that have always happened will always happen. And the, the cynical view of that is that that is the reason why every Star Wars story, no matter what era it's sent in, always feels the same, is because people just don't know what to do. I think it is a better trope to say that the Jedi will always rise and the Jedi will always fail and the Jedi will always fall. And then a need for the Jedi will come and the Jedi will rise again. And then that's like, will just be ongoing forever. And when I look at Star Wars that way, I think that's interesting. I do not think the media intends that arc. I, I think I'm putting it onto it to make the extremely uneven writing of this wide variety of media make sense. Mm -hmm. But it does you know make sense doing in that? my head. Why are you doing that? You're Doctor Who fan. Boom! Burt Doctor Who! Burt! All right, all right. That's it, we're done. The show's over. Because <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's, too, that's too true. That's too true. <laughs> well, we're, we're running long, and so I know we needed to end it. So right. I figured, we get a little bird <laughs> to end it for Doctor Who. No, that's that's you're you're not wrong. I'm not. I, I can't even argue that. Um. So, uh, if people wanted to get more information oh. about your oh oh no 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 we're not done. It. I got a game. We're in a live show. Oh, God damn it! I make games. God damn it! You know I was gonna I make was, a game. I was free what? of this. You've known me long enough to know now. Was there any chance in your mind I wasn't gonna make a game? Yes, I thought maybe the beers would have caused you to forget it. Do you not understand that I do my best writing six beers in? God, my editor—I failed to account for that. My editor hates <laughs> it, but 
I love it. <laughs> um. All right, let's do this. Oh, we've got this Star Wars movie. If you had to reboot Star Wars right now, you know what the fans want. You know what you want. What would your movie be? What would your trilogy be? And in what era would it hit? And and because they're in a live show, make it even harder. Who would your three main protagonists be? And who would their antagonist be? Boom, hard game. I could just say no, you realize. I could just stop recording and you I could, have to do any of this fun stuff. That. And then it would be forever noted that Eddie didn't play a game. Everyone, I, everyone would be sad. I, I have no fear. I, I, I don't care. Everyone would be mind, sad. Honestly. There'd be tears. Two audience members would be crying right now. Uh, okay, so I can't answer the last two questions as adequately as I would like because I really feel like the best way to reboot Star Wars is to go to the Old Republic. It is an era of Star Wars history that has a lot of potential, but also not a lot of mainstream media coverage. It's got some video games, it's got an MMO, it's had some comics. It hasn't had a TV show, it hasn't had a movie. Uh, it would allow to show how all these things started and allow to have lots of Easter eggs as nod forwards. Like you can see Alderaan at its height kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that's a planet that blew up. I recognize that name. Um, and it allows you to see where these, this idealized version of the from. And then from there, you can start to put out more Star Wars media to then contrast against this starting point. So we, I would make a probably new, uh, intact, new protagonists and antagonists. Um, I think you would have to, I mean, I think you have to follow a Jedi, but I don't think Jedi needs to. In fact, I would probably argue that that's not a good thing. I think moving a Jedi more towards the mysterious wizard role and letting them fill that. It's one of the things I thought uh, Rogue One did reasonably well is having the Force users not be the focus, but kind of off to the margins. It made them more unusual and mysterious, and I thought that was a good choice. I would do something similar here and instead have someone who's a, 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 a politician or a pilot or something relatively mundane who starts to realize that the, the Sith uprising that's happening, the world's getting steadily weirder and stranger and dangerous as, as we, the audience, follow along with that arc. So that, that's how I would do it. Very nice. So how about you? So I have two ideas, one of which is very similar to yours. Don't worry about it. It would have been Old Republic, but mine would have been definitely more Jedi-focused, and we could have seen Jedi in their height Battling like mm -hmm. the Sith and other things, and really seeing Jedi succeed because we've seen Jedi's fail. It would have been a nice right. flip on that story to like watch them be victorious. Then we'd have the underside of seeing them like win these epic battles, get people on their side for like the first four or five episodes, the first two movies. The third movie, or like around the 10th episode, we then see them go to people's homes and take their kids. Right. Become Jedi. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like to. So then you have that sudden flip and it gets really dark, kind of how at the edge of Empire, it's a dark movie and it turns when Han gets frozen carbonite. And mm -hmm. the other one would have been Underworld story on Coruscant that would have been like three or four gangsters and getting to like see them doing their thing. It wouldn't have any force in it. 
but it is in the Star Wars universe, and it's like just focused on that and trying to like the next score and put some Coruscant because Coruscant is like the the political world, like the mecca of places to be and doing it, like one of the lower levels, and it would have been darker and grittier, and it would have been like almost a noir Star Wars. I really think you need to watch Andor. <laughs> That's kind of what Andor is. I'm burned um, out right now, though. No, I, no, I, I feel you. But I mean, you're not wrong. Um, that's another way of approaching it because then again, it's the you can start to work your way towards. Because I, I think like I think we're on the same page in that front in the sense of an interesting reboot of Star Wars would be to put the Force users and these powerful people at a level that's almost unattainable at first, and then watch someone like Finn or whoever slowly move their way through to eventually connect with those storylines and see how human these demigods actually are. Mm -hmm. Or it needs to be the exact opposite. And we are those demigods doing stuff. And like, you feel that uh, this right. constant yeah. middle Striving ground the earth, yeah. isn't working. And we need to put solos, Skywalkers, Kenobis and everyone else rest. There's yeah, yeah. a massive, massive billions of races to go and engage with that they're not using. Like those are untapped mm -hmm. stories that instantly make it more interesting. Honestly, I would. Uh, okay, I, 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 I was about to say this. There's some caveat with this, but like, I would kind of dig a band of brothers style storyline following stormtroopers, but I recognize that pretty quickly you would have to make them immediately flip on the empire to make that story actually work and they have that with um but, what's new animated series about literally that topic oh is it really uh, I missed that one. I don't, I don't, sorry i don't remember what it's called but it is it's like these five stormtroopers and something happens so when everyone else flips they don't change sort of like following their story oh oh uh bad batch okay yeah, yeah. um yeah honestly i, I think more stuff like that would be good because it would allow you to see the inner workings of this this monolith um, and recognizing the human cost. Um, but you know, again, series. this goes back to why we didn't set to go Blade Runner because it's too bleak. <laughs> this series I think I'd really love to see is like the Bail Organa series. Yeah. That would be like political spy thriller because that's what it has to be or Bail gets killed and his family gets killed. It's down. Yeah, that's, you know, something else is like Star Wars has never done a political thriller well. Uh, uh, the, the prequel trilogy tried to do that and just didn't. Um, so, yeah, like a proper political thriller akin to like The Crown, whatever, would be really, really interesting. Because you'll have uh, all your Force anyway. users and they could come in, they could come in, but they wouldn't be using the Force. But, you know, they have the Force. So there's that constant fear that could be something they pull out. Or if they would use their power to rip out the secret that they need from you, like that, a drama. All right, we've been going for a while now. We should probably probably wrap this show up before it gets out of hand. But it is. Yeah, last time we tried to wrap the show up, you just sprung a game on me. So now I'm terrified just to try and wrap up the show again. I got another one. Going to happen? But, no, you don't. No, you don't. We don't have time for it. I have. <laughs> no, me. I have endless ideas. So like. If people want to talk to you about your endless ideas, not on the show, where would they find you on? 
the Dark Who Discord. You can find me on social media. I'm still currently on the dumpster fire that is Twitter for a while at Dark underscore Hugh. <laughs> you could look at my blog that I haven't written on in three or four years. Or if you really want, you could go to IPR and buy Haunted West. That would give me more money so I could do more things like this podcast and waste your time with silly games. If you want to talk to me, um, at this point, just go to pugsteady.com. That's my website. From there, I have my social media stuff. I'm going to be kind of iterating on that for a while until we figure out the new, the new normal. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, check me out on the Discord where we occasionally have live shows. So we may do this again sometime. Hey, Eddie, uh, it, if we hit yes. the 100th show, I think we should do another live show. It's got to be Hot Fuzz. Simply because I want to send a bunch of memes of the Hot Fuzz saying, it just got real. Don't don't threaten me with a good time. We could do uh, the like hot fuzz and um, the the zombie one like back to back. Just do two well, of them, knock them out. Well, Sean the Dead's not bad, but I will say that I'm probably one of the four people that liked the World's End. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So we have hundred, we have fifty episodes to go. So we may do that, or we'll get distracted along the way. Um, but uh, wait, 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 wait. I, audience members, would you yeah. like to say anything before we end this, so people know? It wasn't just Eddie and I talking to ourselves, making up audience participants. <laughs> Pro- prove, prove you are real. <laughs> I guess their silence means no. All right. No, no, you're you're fictional. Good to know. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, we'll catch you all next time. There'll be another episode next week. Talk to y'all later. <laughs> <laughs>